Good morning, dear friends. How are you all doing? Utter silence. Wonderful. Good. Well, I'm assuming that no news is good news there. And hello, Internet. I'm so sorry to be on your computer or phone again and not with you face to face. You know, the government phoned me and they said, what do you think we should do, Rob? And I said, more lockdowns. And so this is ultimately my fault. And I was just kidding, but they don't joke around there. Yeah, you know, I, I am being kind of light. I know these are hard days. It's Mother's Day. They seem to want to do the lockdowns right before any kind of holiday just to keep people from connecting. And so this is a day of loss for many people. Even if it's a, a, a regular, non-Rona-involved event, it's not always easy to do Mother's Day anyways because like anything in life, um, it can be complicated. Every human relationship can be complicated. Sometimes it's wonderful. Sometimes it's so-so, and sometimes it's terrible. And so the, the root of the, the reason why we honor this as Christians is because we know that God created the world as a place where everybody has an opportunity to honor somebody. And all of us have a father, and all of us have a mother, and even if things are hard, we can still say, thank you, God, for using these people to at least give me life, but also many good things come to us through our moms and our dads. And we are made to give honor. We're made to give thanks. People are functioning best when thankfulness and honor is flowing out of us. And so God gifted us people to always be able to honor. And so we do this. And so thanks, Mom. If you ever see this, I actually already WhatsApped her. And so check, check. Got that done. Only took me 40 years to learn how to do that. But um, thanks, Mom. I honor you. And Thanks, spiritual moms, for all of your love and care and service and sacrifice for all of us. The heart of a mother is to use your energy, time, resources, wisdom, and to lay down your life to give life, sustain life, and to help release the potential of the people who are in your life. Now, speaking of loss, if this is a lost time for you, you know what? You're not trapped. And... As Christians, whenever we feel like we're about to be robbed, we can always take what we're losing and give it to Jesus so that you're not lost. Jesus is the king of taking things that feel like loss and turning them into gain. That's what he does. And so I've been thinking about, you know, Calvary Church right now exists in the old Steinbeck Credit Union building, and but it is a bank. The whole reason banks exist is some place to put something precious so that it can't get lost or robbed from you. And when you take it back, it's worth more than when you put it in there. Amen? That's the whole point. I don't want to lose this. I'll put it in a bank. And the bank says, thanks. And while we have this, we'll invest it and we'll turn it into more money. And we'll share with you some of the gain of what we've done with the investment. That's how banks work. That's how credit unions work. If you need something to do because there's a lockdown happening or more restrictions, we actually have a bank deposit envelope chamber on the back side of our building. And what you can do is you can write it down, Dear Jesus, I feel like I'm about to lose my Mother's Day or my Mother's Day week or whatever. Whatever you don't want to just lose, write it down. And by prayer, you can even physically put it in that box. And I promise you, if you do that with faith, that Jesus will give it back to you better than what you think you might lose. That's what he does. He takes what we give him, 
and he gives us back better. He takes our broken lives and he gives us healed lives. He takes our broken hearts and he gives us healed hearts. He takes our sinful lives and he gives us saint lives. He takes the broken, messed up, lost, that's all we have. And by the power of God, he is able to give us back way better. Now, he's in charge of the time and what it looks like. But I encourage you, if you're feeling really stuck, <laughs> write something down. Go for a drive. Don't put your name on it so nobody's trying to figure out who did what. You can put it, you can give it to God physically if you need to. If, you're, if you have faith just to do it in prayer, praise God, you're great. But if you need a way to fight back against the fear of loss, I recommend saying, no, I will invest this in the kingdom of God and Jesus will give this back to me at some time. Amen? We are going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm going to try to keep this quick. I'm sorry if it feels short, but I just, I love people on the internet, but you know us on the internet. We're used to 22 minutes with commercials in between, so about eight minutes from now, I need to stop and try to sell you dish soap or something like that. That's all we're used to, 22 minutes with commercials in between, and I just really want to love the internet this morning and try to keep this short. The big idea is this. The Spirit of God is in every single Christian, especially to help us to love. And if you want to grow in loving by the Spirit of God, I want you to ask God to help you know how much He loves you. So I've titled this this message, hopefully more than this message, Jesus loves me, this I know, and the Spirit helps me grow. And really, all true, great, fruitful growth in the Holy Spirit is founded on and fueled by really knowing how much Jesus loves us. And how much God the Father loves us. Do you know that God loves you? Yeah. Do you think you know for sure, for sure, 100% how much he loves you? No, I don't think so. I think I may be cruising at 8% on a good day, 8.2. But it's going to take 100 million billion years for God to begin to help us to understand how deep and wide and high and long and thorough and thick and all-pervasive is the love of Christ for us. And this is the joy. Somebody said when I was in high school once, why would you want to live forever? Eventually it will get boring. <laughs> I'm just like, you don't know God at all. You don't know God at all. If you can think that God would let existence get boring, you don't know his love, you don't know his creativity. We need forever, but we can know it truly now. And so let's read afresh from Galatians, the fruit of the spirit list. Don't turn off your clicker if you want to move the page. These are the very words of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 through 25. 
All right. So this is one of these, these messages, by the way, by Dish Soap. This is one of these messages that I find so challenging and so intimidating. If I devoted 20 hours a day for the whole week, I could not begin to explain to you and help you understand the, the fullness of the love of God and the importance of love in our lives. It's just way too much. It's way too big. I'm only going to be able to give you the sliver of the hoof of the cow this morning, even though I want to feed you every single cut prepared and cooked the right way to release the flavor and maximize your enjoyment of the cow of theology. But I've got to do my best. But please only see this as the beginning of a lifelong endeavor to want deeply in our hearts to know the love of God and to want thoroughly in our souls to express the love of God in every single way possible. Love is where it's at. So much so that the Apostle John said, God is love. That's how important it is. Like love is not messing around. When somebody asked Jesus, what's the greatest command in the Old Testament? Without batting an eye, and in one of the Gospels, he kind of gets him to admit it himself, but without batting an eye, Jesus says, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what we were made for. To see God and love him, to know his love and love him, to worship God and love him, to receive from God and love him, and in response to find people to love them well with the love that God himself gives. This is your purpose. This is, this is why you wake up in the morning. This is why we eat food, so that you don't get tired and cranky and can't love. This is why we sleep, so that you can refresh your mind and your heart, so that you can love. This is why we have skills and we learn things at school, so that you're enabled with actual talents and abilities to make the world a better place in order to love God and love other people. This is why you want to make money, because in some ways, not every ways, but in some ways, money can empower you to love people, to either help them with practical things or to go and meet them because you can afford a car this is what it is all about and love is so important that when paul in this passage wants to explain what the holy spirit is inside you to do he starts off by saying love and all the stuff that comes after this is almost you can just say expressions of love Having peace amongst ourselves is an expression of love. Having joy with God and other people is an expression of love. Having patience with people is an expression of love. Because they're so annoying. You would just want to, don't you want to just get rid of them? Wouldn't it like be better? Just punk, you just plunk them like Mario kicking a turtle shell and just boop, out you go, down a pipe. Kindness is an expression of love. Goodness is an expression of love. Faithfulness is an expression of love. Gentleness is an expression of love. Controlling your desires is an expression of love. All these other things are expressions of the love of God coming out of a human heart. This is where it's at. But that does not mean it will be easy. In fact, loving is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Because of our sinful hearts and our natural bent to selfishness, loving is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Speaking of mothers, 
Don't we all kind of think that, that, I mean, just think about life. Maybe you're getting married. Maybe you're getting a job. Maybe you're doing anything. It's so easy to imagine when something's new and fresh and you're getting into something and maybe even getting your dreams coming true, that because you love people, it's going to be easy and you're never going to get frustrated. You're never going to get tired. It's never going to blow up or melt down. It's just going to be great because you want to do it and all this stuff, right? So moms, what do they often, not every time, but often they want to have a baby and then they get pregnant and it's very exciting and then they grow this thing inside of themselves for nine months and then you give birth to it and your dreams have come true and it's going to be amazing and then what happens? They cry for two years. Especially during the night when you're supposed to be recuperating so that you can put two thoughts together the next morning when it's time to figure out which one it is. Is this feeding time or bum changing time and there's so much noise and I feel so crazy I can't tell which end is which and it's just such a mess. And love gets challenged. Love gets so challenged in this life. It's just, it's just usually not easy. And I wish we could all look at each other and say, love, at least amongst Christians in the church, is easy. But it's not. And I think there's multiple reasons for that. Our own broken hearts But especially in the church, we can have high expectations for feeling loved by other people. And when that isn't met, we can actually become kind of more offendable and more hurtable in the church because we expect things to be easier here. And so we can actually get hurt more. Like, oh, I expect to get yelled at at my job, but not here. And so when we're a mess here, it can be even harder. Love, love is the hardest. I like to think about love from three different perspectives. I find this helpful to do. Christian love, godly love is, first of all, loyal. Christian love, godly love second of all, shows affection. And Christian love and godly love, third of all, shows service. Loyalty, affection, and service. Loyalty, affection, and service. Loyalty, affection, and service. L-E-S. Doesn't, it's not last. You know, I'm missing an S to be, before it can be Scottish. But loyalty, affection, and service. And God shows all of these things to us. So that we can turn around and show loyalty to others. Let's talk about Christian loyalty. One of the key terms in the Old Testament is this word chesed. It means covenant faithfulness or something like that. And it's about how God wants love relationships that show perseverance in faithfulness. That to show loyalty And one of the pictures from the Old Testament that God uses that most demonstrates this is the story of um, Hosea and Gomer. Anybody read that book recently? The prophet Hosea and his wife Gomer. God is trying to express to the nation of Israel how 
regularly betrayed, he feels, from them because they often turn away to other idols. And so he takes his prophet Hosea and the Old Testament, the prophets were often really unified with God and so much so that how you treated the prophet was kind of how you treated God. And he says to Hosea, go and find an unfaithful wife. Go find a wife who's going to commit adultery. Go find a wife who's going to abandon you, Hosea. And Hosea is a faithful prophet, and so he goes and marries Gomer. This woman, she's a broken woman, she's a sinful woman, and she's not determined from the outset to honor her vows. And so before Hosea knows it, he's had some kids with her. Off she goes. And she's gone. Just like us too often. We're not loyal, and we break fellowship, and we break relationship, and we get selfish, and we declare ourselves not satisfied, and we declare ourselves needing to take care of ourselves. And so we go, and we divorce, and we change, and we move, and we quit, and we abandon, and we reject, and we do that stuff. We do that to God, and we do that to others. And so God says, here, I'm going to show the world what it's like to be me. Hosea, you go marry an unfaithful wife. And she does it, and she goes. And then God says to Hosea, okay, Hosea, it's time for you to go redeem your wife. You take all the money you have and a bunch of the food you have and you go find her and you go buy her back from the troubles she's stuck in. And you go and love her again so that the world can see through your life what loyal love looks like. That even when you're at your most betrayed, you're going to go and seek her out so that people will know what I'm like. And that is what God's like. And I'll tell you, Christian, you can spend your life worried that sometime you might commit a sin and God's going to look at you and just say, that's the last one. That's not what God's loyal love is like. His loyal love is to keep seeking and to redeem us, to buy us back and to try to rebuild afresh that loving, loyal relationship, even if we've broken it. And I know sometimes we'll talk, people will kind of get really worried about the unforgivable sin. You know, okay, guess what? You don't want to commit the unforgivable sin? Great. You're halfway towards not committing the unforgivable sin. You want to come back to God. You want to be forgiven. You want God to restore what's been lost. You're 95% of the way back home. All you need to do now is say, God, forgive me of my sin and take me back. And he will. Because he's all about loyal love. God's all about affectionate love as well. Loyal love, affectionate love, serving love. What do I mean by affectionate love? Um, So there's this old joke where this couple's getting married and they get married, they have their, their ceremony and after a few months, the wife says to the husband, honey, you don't really t- tell me you love me anymore. And the husband says, well, I put a ring on your finger, didn't I? She's like, yeah. And he's like, well, if anything changes, I'll let you know. This is a joke. I hope this isn't your life, but this is meant to be a joke. It's kind of like, 
You know, I put a ring on your finger. Of course I love you. If anything changes, I'll let you know. And the whole joke is everybody knows that a loving relationship actually wants ongoing confessions of love, ongoing acts of faithfulness, ongoing desire to be together, ongoing showing thoughtfulness. When you are in a love relationship, you, you kind of want to experience it all the time. You don't want to just like take a break. Oh, see you in five years and then we can have a smooch on the cheek again. But other than that, no. So something's kind of gone missing. If something's gone missing. We want that affection. We want that reaffirmation of commitment and loyalty and liking each other. And God is a God who knows how to show affection. A story from the Bible that Jesus told that kind of demonstrates this is you'll remember the story of the prodigal son from the Gospel of Luke. And there's this son, he's the younger son, he doesn't really value his father, he's not really like in a love relationship with his dad, and so as he gets older, he says to his dad, Dad, would you give me my share of the inheritance? I want to go party with my friends, essentially. Which is this great rejection of the father. Your money's worth more than me. Can I have it so I can go party? And the father submits to the request and gives it to him. And the the son goes out to have his party time. And he goes out and he loses all of the, the funds with his rough living and wild women. And then there's a famine in the land that he's in. And he has to hire himself out to serve pigs, Jesus says. And... The famine's so bad that he just kind of wishes that he could eat the slop that he's feeding the pigs. And he says, I'm going to go home. I'm going to apologize. And maybe I'll hire myself out to the father. And so he goes marching home. And as Jesus tells the story, the son is seen by the father a long way off. And the father runs to meet him and embraces him and kisses him. And the son starts to say, hey, I, I've really sinned against God and you, and, but if you'll take me back as a servant. And the son just says, no, you're my son. Or the father says that, and he puts that ring on his finger and robes him again. But, you know, when Jesus was telling that story, it would have been so easy to tell it like the son enters back home, and he comes and bows down to the father who's sitting on a chair, like in a royal throne, and he sits on the chair, and the son bows down and says, sorry. And the father says, I forgive you, and now here's the job you could do. And he could have told the story completely avoiding the hug and the kiss. Do you know what I mean? It would have still been a valid story. It still would have been a theologically correct story to have the son come home and tell it in a way where he's restored without the hug and the kiss. But that's not how Jesus told it. Because the father is the father of love who shows affection for his children. And until we see Jesus face to face and until we can kiss his feet and get that hug, the greatest thing of affection that the father's given to us is to send his spirit to live within us. You can't actually get any closer. And so when Paul is waving his arms, I'm assuming that while Paul's writing this letter, his arms are a-flapping the whole time. Because, you know, there's this one moment where he's like, I don't even think you're saved anymore. And there's another moment where he's like, why don't you just cut the whole ding-dong off if you're so excited about it? So I just assume that his arms are flailing the whole time and that I'm doing that to imitate him. So no jokes. Earlier on in this book, 
Well, Paul's talking about our sonship in verse 6 of chapter 4. He says, And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And it's just this, like, what what am I going to say? Church, let's raise our faith up to what God has done and is saying. Until I see Jesus face to face, until He returns... This great act of affection, this love expressed by nearness, of making pleasure felt, is through the gift of the Spirit into our hearts. And because we are so slow to believe the good news, and so quick to come up with excuses and reasons not to believe it, the Spirit of affection Himself is inside of our hearts and minds saying, Cry out, Abba Father, Abba Father, Abba Father, Abba Father, Daddy, 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 Daddy. And run to Him and get the kiss and run to Him and get the hug. He's the, he's the Father of affection. He's the Father of making His love felt. He starts off with, with covenant loyalty And the promise that even when we fail to live up to the covenant, there's the blood of Christ there to forgive us and to bring restoration. And we come and we ask for forgiveness and we confess and our relationship's restored. And he's the God and the Father of making his love felt through affection. And it comes by the Holy Spirit. And not only that, like God can use people and he can send people to come and give you the COVID fist bump and he can whatever, or the illegal hug or whatever you got to do, you know. You know, you got to do what you got to do. Would anybody here, if you're, you had somebody bleeding out in the back of your vehicle, you wouldn't drive 150 down the highway to get them to a hospital? You got to do what you got to do for love and life. And I know I'm making making enemies and stuff, but you would break the law to save a life. I hope you would. I hope you wouldn't let somebody bleed out in the backseat of your car so you could do 80 and have your conscience clear there. Whatever. Now I'm in real trouble. Now we're going to have the, the popo looking through the window next Sunday. So, Greg, you better be at a province for that one. You know, we need at least one pastor not in the clink. Okay, a couple minutes left. I think I just ran out of time. Finally, about service loyalty, affection, and service. That's where you show your love by doing. And they all work together. It's all the one love of God, but it expresses itself in all of these things. The greatest act of service that God has done to show his love is to gift his son Jesus to us. To be our leader and savior, to die for our sins and come back out of the grave to give us a new life, a new resurrection life that begins in that moment of faith and is consummated when we get our new resurrection bodies whenever that day comes. And he served us. But he shows his love with ongoing service as well. And he can say to us, everything you eat, I I actually did. And just keeping you alive, I'm doing that too. And every good thing that comes to you that you thank me for, I give it to you. And that's why you thank me for it. And his love is expressed to us with nonstop acts of service. And even being willing to serve us by doing difficult things. Like love is serious business. And you and I both know that in our culture, we like to make love either fluffy and disposable or totally selfishly oriented. You know, if you go back and read 
the works of the flesh in the passages right before here, a bunch of those works of the flesh is what we would call love. Sexual immorality, sensuality, we would call those things loving people. So I'm not messing around here. You can actually think you're loving somebody and hate them by the definitions of God. And we don't want to do that. That's why we study scripture and want to learn God's way so that we don't in our head think we're loving people, but in God's sight, we're doing the flesh and hating people. But we want to love people by, how would you do it? Christian love in action is the commitment to do what's best for people in God's sight no matter what. That's what it is. The commitment with the resources we have to do good to people to the best of our knowledge. That's Christian love. And I want to give at least one example of where it it looked kind of sketchy. You might remember the story of the rich young ruler. There's this rich guy who comes to Jesus and he... I'm not even sure what's going on in his head. He comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He calls him good teacher, and Jesus kind of twonks him a little bit and just says, why do you call me good? There's nobody good but God. And so he's already kind of just kicked some dirt on his shoes right off the bat, because I think he knows that this rich young ruler's heart isn't in the right place. And so Jesus says to him, you've got to keep the commandments. Don't murder, don't steal, all that good stuff. And he says, I've kept all of these things from my youth. And this is what Mark says. It says, verse 21 of chapter 10, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And it says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. And I'm always so just provoked by this, because Mark says to us, Jesus looked at this rich young ruler and loved him, and practically served him with love by saying, there's one thing you lack, you need to sell your goods and give it to the poor and come follow me. And one of the things about serving love that I think I can get in trouble with, and maybe you have the same problem, is we can do the calculus of how can I best love this person, but in a way that they won't reject me or abandon me. You ever been there? How can I love this person, but also manage their responses? Anybody? That's, that's what it means to be Canadian. To be feeling like you always have to manage how other people will respond to things. That's why when you're at the grocery store and they run over you with the shopping cart, you say sorry. Because I need to manage how you're going to respond to the fact that you just ran me over with a shopping cart. And Jesus is showing us that the height of love is actually to do the most loving thing. And sometimes you let them respond how they respond. But service love says... According to my best knowledge of God and the scriptures, what is the most loving thing to do and say now? And it will cost us. Sometimes. Sometimes it will be wonderfully uncostly. Anyhow, wrapping up, inviting the band to come up. You know there's areas in your life where you could grow in loyalty. You know there's areas in your life you could grow in affection. You know there's areas in your life that you can grow in service. But this is what I want to say. Put all your hope 
in Jesus doing it in you and through you by the Holy Spirit. This needs to be by faith. All Christian work is by faith. It's by trust. It's by hope in the Lord. Do it by faith. If you know you need to grow in love, say thank you, Jesus, that you have unimmeasurable power to change my heart, to grow in love. And now I put all of my confidence in the Spirit of God gifted to me. The Spirit of God who is the affection of my Father. Convince me how much you love me. Make me to grow in knowing the love of God. Expand my experience of the loyalty and affection and serving me love of God so that I too can grow in these things. And if there's anything, you know, even before you might do something, this is the big thing. Ask the Father to teach you how much He loves you. Ask Him to increase your capacity to know it with revelation in the depths of your soul so that He Himself and His loyalty and affection and readiness to serve you in every situation is right there in your conviction center so that you can then act out of that. May the Father do these things. Amen.